was popping was popping was popping welcome nikki and moose i'm nikki that's moose what's up moose what up y'all and welcome to episode 106 <laughs> and in this episode we are talking about uh regimen versus spontaneous we're talking about the business of podcasting we're talking about uh, proud to pay campaigns, how to hire. So all these different things, you know, it's jam packed. Moose, how are you feeling about this episode? Yeah. Creative entrepreneurs breaking the rules to do business different and sometimes better. It's always a good conversation. So yeah, it's going to be good. Let's get to it. Let's get into this intro. Two kids from Queens cut from a different cloth. Now, joining forces, helping you to elevate your personal brand. Yeah, I'm talking about Nikki and Moose, bringing you a never-before-seen perspective into the mindset, the mentality, the behaviors, the driving force, but more importantly, the stories behind the people and brands that you know and love the most. And of course, this episode is powered by Ecamm Live, the number one all-in-one streaming platform, which also allows you to pre-record your video, your audio, allowing all these different transitions, animations, the whole nine. You could produce your whole podcast show right within Ecamm Live, and we are offering a 14-day free trial by going to www com slash ecam uh and we love you shining on the w's yes always uh of course moose how are we feeling man i am doing well uh rested and i feel good i feel good it's been a crazy i was really concerned about this last week uh that we were at just because there's so much going on and um, fortunately, I got out of it without any real hiccups. So that was that was huge for me. So I was because I was a little worried. It was like a lot of big events. You know, those weeks when you got like a lot of stuff lining up and you're like, wait a second. Did did the whole month just fall on one week? Yes. <laughs> and sure enough, that's what it was for me. But now, nah, man, things are great. I'm excited uh, to record with you. And uh, it's going to be great. That's good. Uh, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, this is a travel day when we are recording this. So uh just came from ATL for uh, me speaking at podcast boot camp with David Chans and, and Sean Kennel. And then also, of course, the UOU book tour. So that was all good. It was all fun. A lot of connections. But yeah, when I travel, it's like barely any sleep. So yeah. It is what week. it is. Or yeah, a busy it, trip, I should say. Yeah. It was. It was great. Uh, let me let me say this before we officially officially uh, start. So this is the semi-official. All right, semi-official. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been seeing the DMs, people. I'm not. We're not really going to touch on the Kanye <laughs> shirt situation. Okay, not. Don't want to do it. Um, it's Kanye. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. It's Kanye. Um, it's, 
I was trying to, I, I was trying to find a clip where he was saying uh, certain things about being a leader and I was going to flip it. And then I was just like, leave it alone, leave it alone. This is, this is just one of those. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't feel yeah. right with this one. I don't. I tried. I tried people. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just say this. I tried. I sent something Nikki on the low. I said some. I sent her something on the low. I was like, hey, you know, check this one out. And then she just put a thumbs down. Yeah, I was I'm like, not I, interested. Uh, I'm not, I don't know. But I will say this though. Kanye and his, I don't want to call them antics, but just the way he lives his life, it is not going anywhere. It's not going to change. Mm. It's not going to go away. We as a people just <laughs> have to get our priorities right and just really be mindful. I, I don't know why uh, we really feel pulled. I mean, he's not the only person, of course, that's doing stuff like this out there, but something about what he represents and stands for. I know when he does something, everyone's like, whoa, mm. well, you know, they rally behind it pretty big. So, yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere, y'all. Yeah. I, uh, okay, so here's the thing. I'll, I'll lightly touch on it. <laughs> lightly. I just lightly touch is. on it. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm all, like, I'm all for freedom of speech and saying however you want to think. Nothing is right or wrong as far as what we express, right? Now, my whole thing is, as a leader, you know what you represent. You know the responsibilities that you hold. And though his explanation uh, was interesting as far as, like, saying that Black Lives Matter is a statement that's obvious. So he's making another obvious statement. I just feel as a leader, you should know what you should, like, you know what rattles the audience. And so I don't know if this is one of those things that something's coming up and he's trying to rattle the audience, but that's all I will say to it because it's just, it's just one of those things that like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. And y'all just needs it's, I think it's click, uh, interview with Kanye West, where he breaks down the, why he wore the shirt. Uh, and for those people who are listening and may be confused of what the shirt is, he wore a white lives matter shirt, I think in fashion week somewhere. And, uh, it, it got, a lot of press. It got a lot of press. Mm -hmm. um, got a lot of people upset. Um, speaking that like, and it's just one of those things. Like, we, what do you expect from a person who's has a pattern of doing these these things? So, I don't know. I'll leave it at that. I can't do nothing more. <laughs> trying, trying to stay. Kanye friendly. <laughs> trying to say Kanye friendly. Um, right. But uh, let's get into this episode. There was a clip from Ghazi who uh, owns Empire Records. We went over him last week. And there was this clip that I was dying to have on. We just couldn't find a rhythm for it. 
right now we still don't find a rhythm for it, but I need to get it on the podcast to talk about it. And it talks about regimen versus uh, creative freedom, right? And what is needed, what is not. I'm a creator. Uh, Moose is more of the structured businessman. So it should be a good conversation. Let's hear what he has to say. Wrong with a conventional life, it's just not for me. I don't, I don't want to do the same thing every day. The regiment is what gave me the backbone for success, but the regiment would have suffocated my success if I lived under the veil of regiment. So it was a good backbone to propel me forward, but at some point I wanted to live with a level of spontaneous creativity that I, I can just do whatever I want when I want to do it. Talk about it. Moose, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we can't ignore the fact that he says the fundamentals or the regimen uh, is what got him, you know, to where he is. And I agree with that. I do believe that it, it's kind of the, the quintessential quote or cliche saying of what got you here won't get you there. So I, I do I do understand that where in the beginning you have to discipline yourself and follow a, a routine and not just do things whenever you feel like it, simply because you're just not that good enough. You're not that good yet. You, you have to work through the kinks of getting started and mastering something. But eventually you do get to, to a point in your craft or in your field, in your niche, where you really rise above the tide. You stand out for having put so much time and effort into it all that you can get away with not going or following the very strict routine of doing it this way every single time, because at some point you miss out on the next best thing when you're too rigid to your routine. So I, I've, I've experienced this relatively closely or similar to what he said. So I do understand what he's saying. And I think for those of you listening, you really just got to decide have I mastered my craft yet? Have I mastered the thing that I want to be known for? Or, or am I still in the infancy stage of really trying to get this thing down packed? Because if you haven't, then routine is the path that you need to follow. I hate to say it, but you need to get your 10,000 hours in. You need to put your time in the gym to really develop that discipline muscle to be able to master a craft at the most fundamental way. And then beyond that, if you have mastered and you're on the other side, you might want to start dabbling around with something a little bit different because the next best thing could literally be just on the other end of that routine. And you've been following it for so long that things start to lose their flavor or their color. Everything just kind of feels the same way because you've done it the same way for so long. So I can see both sides of it, but I do think it's a timing thing depending on where you are in your experience and even in your career. Do you think, that because you said mastering your craft do you think that mastering your craft solely keeps you on the regimen and the schedule and, and, and a system that's the only way you can master your craft yeah i think there's just a, a certain discipline there's there's a certain amount of time that needs to be dedicated towards something and this is where i say sometimes learning things through the negative it's another way to actually master something. You do it so much so that when it doesn't feel right, you know that's not, that that's not a part of your formula. It's like, wait, I know, I know that this is not right, 
or I'm, I'm unsure if it's right or not, but I know for sure that this part shouldn't be involved. Like it, it doesn't make sense for say credits to be in the middle of the movie. No, this, this is not right. The, the, something tells me L, L, you know, otherwise. So I will say in the beginning, it just takes a while to get those kinks out of your process to start to really finding a feel for maybe the standard way of how it's supposed to be done. And then your way for how you're going to make an imprint on how it's going to be done your way or what you're going to do differently other than the industry standard. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's fair. I think, um, I don't know if I could agree with mastering your craft first before the spontaneous things, because I think like part of mastering your craft is finding your own voice to it as well. So for for people that we look at that we say has mastered their craft, they also have their own style to it. So what we see is truly their version of their market and their niche. And then we say, yo, we really uh, they've really mastered that craft. And I I'll say like for Swiss Beats when we went over him uh, in the past where he admitted, yo, I copied exactly the style of past producers until I could figure out my own. I think that's mastering the foundation. I will say that. I think that's mastering the foundation of the craft, but mastering the craft as a whole can be, and this is my opinion, like this could be a, uh, a mix of, what you add to it, what's your sprinkle to it. Now I am the type that like, I can't stick to uh, a regimen too long. Right. I can be very disciplined to get it started, but to take it to new levels, I can't like, I have to have a sense of freedom. I have to have a sense of, uh, you know, of, control in my own way to allow myself to get to different heights. Um, and sometimes that bites me in the butt. I'm not going to lie. Right. So I'm not sitting here saying that's the most perfect way. And that's the way to go. It, it's, it's, it's a trial and error situation when it comes to doing things like that, but it's, it's I don't want anything to feel like a task. I think in the beginning of, as we are, you know, figuring out what we're trying to do as careers, as, you know, just life purpose, you're going to do things you don't want to do. And it's going to be task after this tedious and it's just super routine. And you have to do that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. I, don't want to do that after a while to say that I've truly mastered it. That's, that's the beginning levels of things. And I'm just more on what is going to give me a balance. I don't want to get rid of the regimen. I don't want to get rid of it. I want to uh, honor it to a certain point to then Give me wiggle room to see if this works, if I could break this. 
or if I could break that. If not, I go right back to it and figure out a whole new formula to plug and play my own style while uh, staying true to the foundation. Um, but yeah, I can't only stick to the regimen. That's just boring. For yeah, me. no, hundred percent, hundred percent. No, and that and that's why I said you you got to reach that point where you graduate from the routine. You, you, it actually hurts you or hinders you when you don't when you don't move on from your routine because you miss out on opportunities to innovate and make something uniquely yours. But in the beginning, yeah, I, I do favor that routine or that regimen just because if you think about it, most people, when they start, the one thing that holds them back is that they don't have that very specific thing or the clarity to just pursue one thing with all their might. It's because I, I just think about it even in my own career, I was just debating between so many different things. It's like, man, what about fitness? I was an athlete in college and I still have a desire to stay in shape. I remember when I got, when I, when I stopped playing sports, I just don't want to be out of shape. Like I'll just do anything so that I just don't get out of shape. Like I want to stay this per this version of me for as long as I can. So I was like, man, what about something in fitness? And I was like, nope, I'm too shy, too introverted. I will probably never take pictures without my shirt off. Uh, so that won't work. It's like, oh, what about real estate? So my, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying like, I think everybody in the beginning of a career, they're having to pick between so many different things and they might nibble in some of them, but you don't get that mastery until you commit to one thing and say, you know what? All right, I might need to do something on the side to pay the bills by all means, but I got to commit to this one thing to master it, you know, at, at a level that's strong enough for me to make a stamp on it. And then I impose my will or in bring in some creativity. So I, I but again, I overall, I think what he's saying is spot on. You need it to start. And then once you master it, you need to break it to get better. There's just no way mm. around it. Uh, that's that's the, the only way I see it. I like that. I like that. That was good. I like that bar. Break it. Break it. Um, so this next clip, uh, Loki, I've been very obsessed with LaRusso uh in the recent weeks. Uh just because it's a it reminds me of a the Nipsey hustle kind of teaching, right? And shout out to Earn Your Leisure. They did a great interview with him and admitted that, yes, I've gotten majority of my teaching from Nipsey Hussle. Like, he studies the game. So, really dope, right? Um, in this clip that we're going to bring up, it is that Proud to Pay campaign that we've spoken about on this podcast a uh, few times. But he does it a bit different. So he sells his merchandise, everything from music, merchandise, and events more on a, a pay-what-you-want basis than necessarily setting a price, right? And some people would think, okay, well, could you lose money? People could pay a dollar in that whole nine. And so we got a clip, and we're going to break down of his whole model of pay-what-you-want uh, offer-based situation with merchandise and his thought process behind it. We did, we started doing offer-based merch 
And when we started, uh, my boy Taz, who helped build the website and the system, we had a, like when you log on, it had a minimum price entered. And I noticed a lot of people was just entering that price because it existed. So I hit them and I was like, bro, put it at a thousand dollars, like make them choose. Cause we know you're not going to pay a thousand, but now you got to delete it and put your own amount in. Some people come and pay a dollar or five dollars, but then there's four people who came and paid a hundred. The production cost of the hoodie was only $10. So everybody who paid a dollar got subsidized by the people who paid a hundred. Like the people gonna always take care of you. And my whole thing from the jump was like, I use merch for marketing. So my goal was like, even if I only make $1 off each, mm -hmm. my plan was to sell a million. A million dollars ain't never bad. I, it don't matter. <laughs> That's never a bad thing, you feel me? And that was my goal. The goal wasn't to profit hella. The goal was to be able to market. Uh, as I always like to say, I think that's genius. Okay. I think that's genius. Um, in so many different levels, one, uh, I'm a community based type person. And the fact that you are creating a model that is for the people and really trusting them based off the credibility that you've, uh, that you've, uh, gained as well as the reputation, as well as the brand, the powerful brand that you've built, you're now allowing your, you're giving trust to your audience to say, hey, I'm going to offer this, right? I'm going to meet you where you are, but I still believe that this is going to be profitable, right? I Love that because when you look at the two models between a Nipsey Hustle proud to pay campaign and a uh, offer based merchandise situation that uh, uh, La Russell has, it's pretty much the same but different. And I say that because you look at Nipsey and you could get a bottle of water for like, I don't know. $200, but it's water that is branded and was held by Nipsey and signed, right? right? right. So something that is going to go over market value, but at the same time, there is value because you are supporting the brand that is putting that out. So it puts a different kind of emotional attachment to it. And people have no problem paying at a, a crazy amount that they know they could get it for cheaper somewhere else. But mm. we support the brand so much, I'm going to do it to the other side of where it's La Russell. And he's saying, yo, I would be paying for marketing anyways. And so if I did a, if I did a campaign of, of offer base, I could give somebody instead of giving my stuff out for free, which is another form of marketing. You're going, I'm training my audience that everything that I do, you have to pay for it. And whether you're paying a dollar because that's what you find the value of, or that's all you can afford to pay possibly 200, 300, $400 for it. Right. 
at the end of the day, it's all marketing. It's all community-based. Everybody's supporting the brand regardless. I think that's smart because you're training, like I said, you're training your audience to pay for something. If you get outside of social media and you want to uh, own the music, have your own copy first and foremost, if you want to go to the events, whether it's the live stream, whether it is in person, whether you want a hoodie, a shirt, whatever, you are now trained that everything is something that you have to pay for where other people don't. There's we've talked about it. There's funnels of free books and free shirts and to then go here and then go there. And then he's like, nah, pay what you want. I'm cool with that. Later down the line, maybe we could talk about how he actually even gives um, equity to his whole family, to fan base people, to the people who print his shirts, things like, yeah. like it's a, it's, different as his famous catchphrase but it's different of how he does things because he thinks of other people in mind but by thinking of other people in mind it truly supports what he is doing and he reinvests in everything to have a bigger brand and now something of a, of a local rapper who is independent is now making so many different ways because how he innovates what he saw from uh, Nipsey and a Russ and all the other independent artists and creating his own lane with uh, offer-based merchandise. I think it's genius. Yeah, no, I, I love what you said. He he gives me, uh, I don't know if it's the comfort or the swag, but he gives me big Toby vibes. I just, yes. I'm like, I see, it definitely reminds me of Toby. So shout out to Tobe. But uh, it's crazy, man. I I it, I don't know how it happened, but maybe a week or two prior, there was an ad of his that showed up on my timeline. I was like, wait, this dude is having concerts in what looks like his backyard. I was like, what, it is. what yep. is going on? I was like, wait, wait, let me just check this out. So I go on his page. I'm like, wait, he has a, a ton of followers. Like, this is not just someone who's doing something super, uh, you know, out the blue. There's this has been happening for a while. Uh, actually, the, the ad I saw, I think it was him with two of his boys recording in the garage. Like they were it would look like a, a, a crazy music video. And then I went on and I started seeing I was like, oh, this is a movement. So yeah. it was so it was dope to see him on the interview with, you know, the guys with Earn Your Leisure shortly thereafter and see it come together. But I mean, I think you covered it obviously in, in, in a full spectrum. The part that I want to speak to is just the psychology, although very subtle, but there's an element of psychology that happens in branding and marketing and as well as business in the simple change of him saying, hey, put it at a thousand, mm. right? It's so subtle, such a very small thing, but it Im immediately removes the barrier out of the person's mind that there's a certain limit or value that you place with any and every hoodie, right? Mm -hmm. Because most times you expect to pay 40 bucks, 60 bucks, maybe a hundred bucks for a hoodie. So when you go on there and you see that the value is as low as a dollar, there's a certain perception that goes into your mind about, well, man, if I pay this dude $10, I'm doing him a favor. Right. Versus if I see it at a thousand, 
and I bring it down to whatever it may be, there's a certain psychology that goes through your mind. You might feel a little kind of douchey by going from a thousand to a dollar. It's like, really dude, yeah. like, what are you doing? You know? So I love the psychology, although very subtle, but I think it makes a big difference in the person's mind or, or the consumer's mind as they're going through the process of supporting their favorite artist. Now, uh, I, I don't have too much experience on this, but I'd be curious to see what happens as he becomes more mainstream, mm -hmm. if the same approach will continue to work for him by, by not putting a, a, almost like a, a bottom tier or a limit to how low you can go. But overall, I love the psychology behind setting it at, the, at a thousand. That's the first thing you see. So even if you go whatever low, he's still benefiting because his expense or his cost is only $10. Yeah, I like I said, I think it's I think it's genius. I I do agree and and hence why I left that part in where it's like you see the thousand, you're like, whoa. But I can put it on anything I want, mm -hmm. but I feel weird. Yeah, I feel yeah, really weird feel. <laughs> doing it at like two bucks. Like mm -hmm. Granted, some people have no emotions in buying. I get it. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But it, it, even um, I think recently he, he had a birthday. He did, you know, his album release like early for his birthday. And he did it through the blockchain. And he sold uh, his his album anywhere from like a dollar to like a thousand thousand dollars and sold multiple copies of it to where it's it goes based off the same model of nipsey is like you know you can get it from apple and and itunes and spotify and that whole nine but if you truly support you'll come over here you'll get early access that whole nine and in that interview of with earn your leisure Rashad was like, yo, why don't you create that same situation? Like you own the streams, you create your own title and do that with uh, other independent artists where, you know, you're paying for however, a you know, proud to pay situation is going to be. And they were like, yeah, but you still got to get the music out there. There's still, there still has to be a, a sense of brand awareness uh and you still get paid through apple and spotify and everything like that this is an extra bonus so you actually you would be taking away a stream uh a, a revenue stream if we were to just take full hmm. like control of the music where we're taking advantage of the brand awareness, we're taking advantage of the revenue stream and we're creating a separate revenue stream by giving uh, our digital our digital copy early to people and saying that they particularly own these this uh, this album for a certain piece of equity, depending on what level they bought it on. Yeah, I'm like super obsessed with that situation because I'm now in a in a mindset of how do you how do you do both like how do you just like he does the brand awareness but still still 
having that community piece, still having that support situation and making money through the support and not everything free, 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 super paid, free, 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 do this. But how he and, and anybody just look up La Russell, uh, how he controlled the events as far as doing it in his backyard. Now he's doing it in a few venues and going outside and everything. But the residence uh, situation that he has where people will put in an offer and he can accept it or not, it's not like everybody can get in. But mm-hmm. based off your offer, they'll bring you in. You get to go into the house, chill with his parents. You know, it's it's an experience. Experience, but that's what making him different because he's getting people to buy into the experience. And especially in this digital world, when uh, physical products isn't as common as it w- was before, you're going to want to figure out the best way to give a brand experience that people will pay for rather than. Uh, just going with what everybody else is doing and uh, selling this digital product, selling that digital product, and and, and that whole nine, um, and even the merch. Why? How can you do it in a different way? How can it be a different experience? So, I uh, love Russell. I think it's super fire. Creators breaking the rules. Yay! May have to call it that. May have to call it that. Write that down. Write that down. I like that. I like when you drop little bars. The title. That's like that. Yeah. yeah. Drop that. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about the business side of podcasting. So I was watching this. Uh, I was watching this podcast. Right. Okay. Clearly. <laughs> um. And shout out to Mandy. Right. We covered Mandy before. Uh. When. Uh. She actually. Uh, separated from the Joe Budden podcast, right? And she broke down the back end of podcasting and where we think we could just jump on the mic and that's a podcast and that's what brings in all the money and the the looks and the opportunities where mm, not so much. A lot of people, a lot of people want to show up on a mic and talk. Mm-hmm. And make all the money. Yeah, of course. That, <laughs> and it's I, just I know like, that. And it's just like, like you have to build the team, and that goes back to the percentage of a, a the percentage of something is more than hundred percent of nothing. Literally, feel like, ooh, their opinions matter so much. They're a star, and then literally don't realize that. Okay, after you show up, who's rendering your audio? Who's making your clips? Who's doing the marketing? Do you have a deal? And if so, who's selling ads? Like, the idea of even monetizing Even it. how you title your videos. Riff in business and podcasting and creative is really all the back. It's the how how we busting this down. Because how we how we busting the money down 50-50 I like if the, the workload is 90-10. Hmm. <laughs> so I'll say this before Moose goes into his business talk. Um, the... The key part that I got out of all that is when you start a podcast, you didn't even think about 
having a team. You just thought maybe it was you and a co-host or maybe two or three co-hosts and that is it. And you find out very quickly that it has to be a team. It has to be more than you. Uh, you will get drained. This is why some podcasts actually stop because we don't even consider all the different uh, needs and different uh, positions there are in creating a successful podcast. Like, uh, and there were parts in that interview where she was like, okay, cool. Who has travel? Who has, who's setting up the interviews? Who has, you know, um, getting the hotels? Who has, you know, conversations with, uh, you know, getting bios and that whole nine. So these are things that we are not considering. And that's what doesn't get talked about loud enough. Right. It doesn't get talked about as far as the true work of podcasting. And, and you know, we've had multiple people come on here. We've spoken ourselves about what it takes to to do a podcast. But I was and I won't say the name. I was at a recent training. And uh, the person was showing how many downloads they have. Right. And kind of the the what it took multiple episodes and all the clips on YouTube and things like that. And then goes, but don't get discouraged. Even though you don't have a team, you could do this too. And I said, that's a lie. Like Mm. that's a complete lie to get, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads with multiple pieces of content everywhere distributed everywhere that really takes a team. And so it's almost lied to when you're saying, okay, all this, but you know what? You could do it too. No, you can't not without a team. You could do it. Once you have a team, once you have, uh, cause we have someone who does our show notes. We have somebody who edits our clips. We have somebody who distributes on TikTok. We have somebody who distributes on Instagram. We have systems that distribute on all the other ones. We have uh, paid for education. We have, uh, um, we're, we're investing on somebody who's going to be doing research. And so that could get off of our plates. Anything that takes up majority of the time, I just bought something that, uh, will allow me not to think about titles no more. Like there's a lot of things that seem very small that add up that if it is not taken care of or discussed of about, it's, you're kind of like, wait, what? I just thought I got on like on the mic. Oh, I just thought I could turn on some lights keep it moving. And, you know, I come back next week and that's what it is. There is a lot. And and if I'm scaring some people from doing podcasting, I'm going to say good because it's not meant for the week. Right. It's not like it's, it's really a true business within itself that you have to spend time 
and you have to give energy to. And if you don't, it will be left on the wayside. You, Those are those podcasts that get only a couple of hundred listens and things like that. And wondering, well, why is it not successful? Well, because you're still doing everything or you haven't discussed on how to delegate what it takes, what are the resources, what are the tools, right? And it's it's just something that I don't want to uh I don't want to hide as far as yo it's easy. You could do it too. You could do it too if you're good at managing a team. You could do it too if you are good at building a team. You are you could do it too if you're really great at delegating. And recognizing when you're supposed to let things go, right? That's another whole conversation because there's some people who just want to hold on to things in order to save money and, and things like that. It's like, no, give it up. If you're trying to be successful, let go of the money because it'll come back once you reinvest correctly. Yeah, yeah, no, that's well said, man. I mean, I think recording is just a, such a small portion of the operation of a podcast. So when you think about this segment here that you all are watching, that's probably the smallest portion of work that goes into the full experience or what it takes to operate a podcast. It's a lot like professional sports. The game is a very small segment of what we see that goes into the preparation that each of those athletes have to fulfill or kind of go through so that they can perform, right? It's like, I used to think about it even when I played sports, my season might've been three months, but I trained for eight months. It's, mm -hmm. it's so lopsided, the amount of work that goes in on the back end or behind the scenes so that you can enjoy such a small portion of it all. So I agree. And quite honestly, that's a conversation that I had to have with Nikki, right? When I came to you and said, hey, uh, I've been thinking about it. I don't know. Although in the beginning, we were like, hey, come on, hoorah, let's do this together. 50-50, no matter what. And then it got to a point where I was like, honestly, it doesn't even make sense for this to be 50-50. There's so much more work that you have to do in editing and just everything digital, as opposed to my portion of the work, which is fulfilling whatever it is when it comes to our recording and the live show and any negotiations that may happen when it comes to some form of business deal. So it's like when you compare that level of work, and again, that's why you hear me over the last, probably the, consistently over the last three to five episodes, I said, stop taking things personal, address your insecurities and heal so that these types of conversations with you and your business partner or whoever your co-host may be, can be very simple dialogues and not some form of, oh my God, you're backstabbing. How could you? Why would you? It's just addressing the facts. And that's why I like what she said, right? How are we going to do 50-50 if the workload is 90-10? That's the reality. That's just a fact. And so if that is the case, you just have to be prepared to have that conversation. Now, I've always said it, the business has to be addressed up front. And because we're in a new creative world where business doesn't stay consistent for 10, 20 years, you have to talk about, well, what happens when something changes in the landscape of what we're doing? 
So we started a creative business. It's a creative endeavor. We agreed to these percentages based on the operational expenses and all that. Great. The metaverse comes along. That adds a whole new layer to the business of what you had previously. What happens in that, in that situation? So I think that's another element of quote unquote business development or navigating the business realm of the creative endeavor that a lot of us are not really talking about or, or we're not really taught on how to do. So I think just simply put, I will say that, talk about business early and often. And after you do so, because it's a creative endeavor, try to talk about what would happen in case of one or two scenarios like an innovative, you know, next level thing that happens or the next chapter. What happens when we enter that, that chapter? How will that affect what we're currently doing? I think between those two scenarios, it starts to give us a better picture of what we're getting into. And we don't just do things for the fun of it. We're like, man, podcasting. Yeah. Like, no, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and like you said, not to scare people, but really to educate you so that you don't start and stop and so that you don't start and fail. These are the things that you'll eventually have to figure out at some point. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, if you think about starting a podcast or you uh, have a podcast with a co-host, uh, just keep in mind, keep the communication open um, and uh, then you'll be good. Uh, so in that same clip, in that, well, not that clip, but that same, in that same interview, uh, there was a part where, you know, going back and forth with, you know, business people and like, how do you communicate with them? And what's the best way to, you know, avoid rifts. But there was something that a guy named, uh, well, his full name is is Randy, right? But um, the guy who was speaking, he was talking about, you know, understanding people. And we, you know, used to go hard about talking about the flight assessment in, in order to understand how people maneuver and, and think and receive information. So what he said kind of triggered to, you know, like, yo, let's, this is very true when it comes to business. This is very true when dealing with people that you work very closely with or that you're growing a brand with and, and building teammates. So uh, this is what he said. I always say this on shows because Sylvia Rome told me this when I was the manager and I was doing She was like, you have to be a psychologist too. And I would be like, why? And she used my real name, Randy because you have to know and think about how these other people are thinking. That's mm. the only way only it's going to work. If you're thinking about how you think and how it's supposed to go, it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 uh, I, I can see it from the, the right way of doing things and even the strategic way of doing things. Right. I, I, uh, of course, and you mentioned the flight assessment, the right way is, and statistically we know this, that if, if my style, my perspective, my way of doing things, it only represents a small amount of, of percent of people in the world. So, you know, if we were to go specific to the report, my style as an air traffic control only makes up 28% of the world's population. So when you think about it through that realm of business, 
there's only, and, and, even, and even if that, right, that's like best case scenario, 28% of the people I meet are going to see eye to eye with exactly what I'm saying, with exactly the way that I want to do it, and they're going to want to do it the same way too. But the other 72%, they're going to have other preferences and say, actually, I don't agree with that. I would rather do it a different way. If I had to say so, I would do it completely different as a matter of fact. So I think the scientific part of it is that's the part that we have to pay attention to. There's almost always a larger percent of people who would do differently than you do until you start to own the right so that people can follow your lead, which is, of course, experience, credibility, a winning record. That starts to give you that extra, I don't want to say leg up on people as if you're taking advantage of them, but people are going to want to follow your lead because they're like, man, this person, his or her record speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't have that experience, I want to follow suit on that. But when you're living in a world of equals and, and I, I think again, I think back to sports again. But we were, we were always remembered that when you get to the next level, everybody's talented. Mm-hmm. Everybody's good. Everybody knows how to run fast or whatever it may be, right? Specific to the, to the creative endeavor. Everybody's good at creating content or, or telling stories or making compelling arguments. Everyone is good. So how do you get along? How do you get your way? How do you compete or win when everybody's good? It's these small intangibles that give you a strategic leg up on someone because you start to communicate in a way that you, you know, uh, make a compelling argument for them to maybe join your thought process. So it's like little things like that, that I'm like, yeah, absolutely. This is one of those keys. When you talk, when you talk about building and scaling something, you got to implement that skill set in there, which is this idea of how do I work with people who are not like me? And I, I, I would think that, a lot of people would want to work with people like them for, you know, same work ethic and, you know, uh, same views, same values, right? But that sucks. It's actually, uh, you won't accomplish much. At least you'll accomplish a lot on one side and not the other, right? Exactly. Now, um, I... I I wanted to bring up this this clip because it's 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 pretty much the key to really true success with working with people and uh, from a longevity standpoint. We can bring people in and out all day, but if we are not trying to understand or deliver, uh, you know how they want to be received as far as information, how they give information, how they act in certain scenarios. It's almost as if we only care about us and that's it. And you are here for my agenda and nothing of yours. And then it stops being mutual. Right. And, you know, of course, when you're working with somebody, especially when it comes from a pay situation, it's more on like, well, I'm giving you a check. Shouldn't that be enough? Right? I've heard that plenty of times. I'm giving you a check. That means I care. No, you're giving me a check because it's you should. Like, 
<laughs> there's there's work and you know that's that's not mutualism that's just like it's illegal like is it it's illegal at, at a certain point right um and like i'm i'm looking at some of the scenarios that uh i'm in and there was one in particular that happened recently and just on a communication standpoint like well i'm i'm the type of person that like i better express how i think when it comes to serious conversation through text i'm one of those i could admit that the reason why is because sometimes i say things that i don't mean or i uh shut down and i just let things go because i just like i could deal with the conflict but if i could avoid it i'm going to right so for me like i could better articulate everything that i i'm thinking about and want to express through text message moose has seen that part of me where it's like i could say something and it's like huh wait what but i could text something in full and it's like i didn't know right but that's all based off understanding and and like really assessing a person of who they are how they act right and when you were working in close quarters you should understand just little things like that for longevity purposes now um in the beginning of of our podcast and like early on we used to talk about the flight assessment because that was something that really helped us and then personally me in a team situation where you know understanding that okay for me in the in the assessment i attracted grounds crew yet i'm a whole pilot and flight attendant and here i am with a whole bunch of grounds crew people which are great for support but suck from an execution standpoint right um besides a few i'm not going not not stabbing on all of them right don't want to say that but um but understanding what can what are the motives that they may need in order to execute it took me a while to figure that out right and once i figured it out it's like oh i got it let's go come here with me the come like let's do these things together they're like oh okay let's go right but if you're not investing in uh the tools and the resources like an assessment low key plug flightassessment.com okay um and you're and you're not doing uh team meetings and team exercises team outings and things like that you're going to misunderstand each other and it's not because you don't care it's all because you haven't invested in the tools and the resources that is going to allow you to understand the team members that you have, the co-hosts that you have, the people that you need to hire, what are you exactly looking for? And that's only the only way you're going to understand that is through investing in coaching, in investing in assessments, investing in different systems 
that is going to allow you to understand humans more reading books, humans, because we're dealing with humans. So that's why when he said, yo, we have to be a psychiatrist or, or something to that effect, right? Not the degree wise, but yes, we have to understand humans. We deal with humans. We don't deal with just us. That would be scary. I don't want many me's. I'm a very misunderstood individual, right? I don't want many me's. The world would be a very confusing place, I feel. This is me, right? So if you're being serious about co-hosting, partnerships, team-wise, please, I'm going to beg you. Uh, you can start with flightassessment.com. You could go research other things. You could look into coaching. But for you to take this serious, it's going to take time and money to f truly create a tight bond with the people you are dealing with in a business level. What Nikki said twice. <laughs> Anyways, I'm just sorry. I felt a little passionate about that one. I apologize. I apologize. Not really. I don't apologize. But um, listen, people, we have. Yeah. Okay. I'm be honest. We had like a plan for the after show. And now once again, I have a thought process based of something that just happened. So we were probably going to talk about perception. Uh, and that perception and leverage on the after show, just because um, it just hit my head. And I like having conversations with Moose, especially about the perception part. Um, so, Check out the after show comes out on Wednesdays uh, on Apple Podcasts around 8 p.m. ish, 8, 9 ish. Yummy. You know I mean? um, so go check that out. Follow us on all social media platforms at Nikki and Moose. And of course, Moose, final words. Yeah, ten, 10 years from now, the success that you have is not going to come from the money you made, it's going to come from the people who you positively impacted. So yeah, money's important, but along your journey, make sure you take care of people.